it literally traps the waste in and around the damaged site and prevents the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. Now, why would you do that? Well, because rice is nice. It rhymed. Everyone that came up from 78 on, you were taught the rice protocol. And it didn't matter that it didn't make sense. That's not relevant. Rice is nice. So we all did rice. And then you stop and you say, well, do I really want to trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies? Of course not. So what do you want to do? Welcome to The Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today, Gary Reinel is with us. Now, Gary has spent approximately 50 years in the sports medicine field, helping everyone from professional athletes to seniors to general population. And he's a published author of a few books. However, one in particular has been completely industry changing, and it's called Iced the illusionary treatment option. And that is a big focus of today, not just ice and the detriments of ice and how it doesn't work for recovery, but what exactly is recovery and what are the issues and problems with the rice protocol that so many of us, I mean, anyone who's been injured, anyone who's been sore, excessively sore after workouts or surgery, oftentimes icing is the go-to recommendation that we get. And Gary disproves this in a fascinating way. This is a super important discussion. I hope you love it. And after listening, please do share it with any friends, family. This is definitely a topic I want to get out there. So I hope you love this discussion. I know I learned a lot and I hope you do too. Well, Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. I was telling my wife, Lauren, how excited I am. She's stoked to listen to this afterwards. And you know, when I was thinking about what I wanted to dive into with you, the topic of recovery hands down came up as the most thing that that really drew my interest. And then also what I know my listeners would be interested in. And this word recovery gets thrown around a lot, whether it's in the professional athlete space, whether it's people writing articles uh, for fitness and health. And so I just want to start off and I'm really curious about how might you define recovery or what does recovery mean to you? Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the chance to talk to your audience. Uh, Recovery is, like you said, uh, thrown around a lot. And it's one of the most confusing words that I've come across in my, this October will be 50 years since I've started doing this kind of work. And recovery, if you were severely injured and you rolled your ankle and you had a third degree sprain and you were really hang up, hung up for quite a while, people would ask you, are you fully recovered? And you would say no or yes, or yeah, pretty much. But if on the other hand, I was just tired and sore from doing a hard run and you asked me, am I fully recovered? I would answer the same way. Now, isn't that odd that here we've got two completely different questions, same word, recovered. And recovered to me it's just another word for nothing left to heal. Now, that's really important to follow me there because that's how I see the whole situation. Whether it's a minor injury, whether it's a major problem, or whether you're just tired and sore from exercise or pulling the weeds in the backyard, it's damage. And recovered means you're fully healed. So again, recover is just another word for nothing left to heal. And now we get into a spot where we say, well, no, I mean recovery like, uh, like I'm hearing from Madison Avenue. There's recovery socks and there's recovery shirts and drinks and bars. And okay, it gets very confusing when you follow Madison Avenue's lead. But here's what they've done. Uh, you can drink anything you want to drink. You can wear anything you want to wear. And you can eat anything you want to eat. But until you decongest the area in and around the damaged site and rebuild the related vascular network, your results are compromised. So you tell me, well, 
what about a recovery uh, roller? And I said, well, that's not a recovery product. And you might be tempted to think, now, wait a minute, that, it's in our recovery area. I don't care where you put it. It's clearly not a recovery product. Well, what's the point of it? To find bad spots and break them up, right? So if you're damaging tissue, how could that be recovery? It can't be recovery, but it's just misplaced. It's, but, it, but it's in the recovery area in our gym. <laughs> I don't care where you put it. It's not recovery. Now, it's not high-end work, but it's clearly not recovery. So with recovery, you've got a couple of things you need to do. One, you need to bring good stuff in. Two, you have to take bad stuff out. Three, you've got to get the muscles to produce and release the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process. It's very important. And then you have to reorganize to repair tissue. So there's four things you got to do, four easy things to remember, good stuff in, bad stuff out, produce and release the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process, and reorganize to repair tissue. So anything you're looking at, if you want to know if it's recovery or not, check those four boxes. If it doesn't check them, it's not recovery. Now, it doesn't mean it's wrong. There's, not a, there's nothing wrong with a lot of things that people do, like rolling on the, on, the, uh, on the roller. I have a roller. I roll on it. But it's not a part of my recovery routine. So it's like, oh, well, what about my Theragun? It's not a recovery product. I have a Theragun right here in my room on the floor right next to me. I just got done running 16 miles up and down the hill. So eight miles up, eight miles down. I just got back and I will use my, my Theragun later today. Now, but it's not recovery. I'm trying to call, I'm trying to disrupt the tissue that isn't feeling good. That's not recovery. So my answer to the big question was, what is recovery? Well, let's just keep it real simple. Recovery is just another word for nothing left to heal. When did you start coming to that conclusion or that understanding? Was there something like an aha moment that clicked? Or what was that journey like for you to come to that succinct definition that you live by now and teach? I started out over in the physical therapy world. So everyone was hurt where I was. And when we said recovered over there, it meant recovered. It meant there was nothing left to heal. <laughs> That's what it meant. But then I go back to my early days. Back in 1973, I opened the seventh Nautilus gym in the world. Now, I don't know if you know what Nautilus is, but it was a very popular brand of exercise tools back in the uh, late 70s, 80s, and even into the mid-90s. And when I would work with my athletes in my gym, we all knew you had to stimulate, recover, and then grow. That's what you went to the gym for, to stimulate it. That's what the weights did. You stimulated it. Then you had to recover, and then you could grow. You didn't grow, stimulate, and recover. It, didn't, it, go, it has to go in the right order. So we always called it recovery there. And in fact, the guy who started the Nautilus product wrote a great paper that you can still Google today. His name was Arthur Jones. And you can still Google the paper today. Just put in Arthur Jones Recovery. He talked about it in extensive detail back in the early 70s, late 60s. But here's the thing about that. He was talking about weightlifting. He wasn't talking about being hurt, but you are hurt. That, that's what happens when you lift weights. It, you get hurt. You have microtrauma. You're hurt. So everything, regardless of what you're doing, uh, it, my most satisfied customer ever for recovery, okay? A concert flutist. Now, why? Well, do this for four hours a day for a year, year in and year out. And then tell me what happens to your fingers and your forearm. Think about the, the motocross rider or the tennis player whose hand, this the forearm pump. Well, imagine if you're a flutist. So here we had a flutist where the doctors, the medical doctors involved, were, were suggesting maybe a carpal tunnel release, a bilateral carpal tunnel release would help solve the problem because they thought that this person was hurt. But they're going to cut your wrist open and open up the tunnel. So it's, it's not a good plan. But it, by the way, it's very common. A carpal tunnel release is a very common procedure. 
Now, with that said, when they called me, I said, well, what have you done to facilitate recovery from being tired and sore? Well, nothing. Okay, well, why don't we try that first? <laughs> so let's see, let's see if we can do something with just a fundamental recovery process, which is bringing in nourishment and fleshing out waste, causing a stimulus to produce and release the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process, and then reorganizing that repaired tissue. So as soon as we did that, within weeks, we cleared up the problem. Now, there were a few other suggestions made that uh, when you are feeling really fatigued, you should stop, maybe squeeze a ball lightly, shake your hands out, you know, don't fight through it. That's the whole point. When you're doing recovery, it's not training. There's a huge difference. Training, training, you expect to suffer today for a benefit tomorrow. That's okay. That's a good thing. Recovery, there's no suffering. Recovery is recovering. They're, they're, they're getting better. You're, they're fixing the problem. There's no suffering in the recovery process. So with that, uh, I realized when I did my contrast between my weightlifting days back in the early 70s and my physical therapy days that, that followed, I realized if you were talking to someone in the orthopedic world about an injury, you said recovered. If you were talking to a CrossFitter or a triathlete or a tennis player or a concert flutist, you would say recovered. And then I realized it's all the same thing. When you are fully recovered, you're no longer hurt. So recovered is just another word for nothing left to heal. When, when you were sharing about the concert flutist, so in, when I was a competitive athlete, the injury that sidelined me for, for a few years until I got resolution was uh, compartment syndrome in my left arm. And so my, my mentor and teacher who was absolutely key in the rehab process, he was a former motocross racer. And so he, because most of the times when I've heard of compartment syndromes, when I was doing research on it, you typically, at least for me, when I was researching it, it was mainly talked about in the legs and runners, but I never really heard too much to my understanding around the forearm and motocross. And so he made that connection. And actually just in the last three weeks, I've had three people reach out with thoracic outlet syndrome and that are having issues in their arm. And so I wasn't even planning on bringing this up, but it, it hit that light bulb when you shared that. Would you mind sharing a little your experience on um, either compartment syndrome and or thoracic outlet? Have you seen things to help that or what would be your approach to uh, something like that? Well, the first question that I always go to is what's your intent? What are you trying to do? And if you tell me that you're trying to decongest the area in and around the damaged site and rebuild the related vascular network and prevent disuse atrophy and reorganize the repaired tissue in and around the damaged site, well, stillness is not going to be the answer. So that's not how it works. And fundamentally, our human system is designed to self-repair. So we're supposed to self-repair. Now, what stops us from self-repairing? Well, one of the biggest mistakes that's ever happened, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use a phrase I heard recently, the biggest lie. The biggest lie being that you should do the RICE protocol, rest, ice, compression, elevate. And I actually had a, a trainer uh, I work with. I provide information to uh, and sell product to over 100 professional athletic teams, and I'm very deep in the NHL. And I had a trainer call me, and he said, Gary, I, I've got a guy with... Uh, compartment syndrome in his thigh. And what are you saying I should do? And I said, well, what do you usually do? He said, well, we'll rest it, ice it, compress it, and elevate it. And I say, and how's that going? And he said, well, it's not working. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Are the last hundred compartment syndromes you've heard of, the last hundred, how many of them followed the RICE protocol? And he said, well, probably all of them. I said, is that telling you anything? Okay, you got to think this through now. You got a hundred in a row that you hear that you heard about, and they all did it, and they didn't work. Now, what are you trying to do? Look, it's very complicated because people want to say things like, "Well, this is the way it's done, or we've always done it this way." That doesn't make it the best way. You can do lots of things wrong, and it still works. So that's not a good plan. What's the best way to solve the problem? Let's look at the problem. Well, you know what? Let me go back for one step. 
let's look at who thought they solved the problem, and that's Dr. Gabe Merkin. Dr. Gabe Merkin made up the RICE protocol in his 1978 sports medicine book. That's rest, ice, compression, elevation for everybody who doesn't know what the RICE protocol is. And that's okay. If you're in that world, you know it. If you don't, you may never have heard of it. But that's what people were told to do. In fact, there are surgeons this morning who are going to tell people to do that. Sure. Yet, Dr. Merkin publicly recanted several years ago, said, look, I made this up. Research has clearly shown I was wrong. Don't do it. It delays healing. And in fact, then gets a specific reference to the fact that it caused additional damage. So what prompted Dr. Merkin to recant? Well, it just so happens that I wrote a book called Ice, the Illusionary Treatment Option, and Dr. Merkin had read my book. And he called me on the phone and said, I read your book. You're right. So I went to see him. We had a great conversation. I've actually been to see him several times. And uh, he offered to write the forward to the second edition of my book. So I got the doctor who made out the most recognized reference recommended protocol in Western medicine to not only publicly recant, but write the forward to the book that took down his legacy. So give me a little chance to say, I think I know what's right and wrong. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure I got it straight now what's going on. And what's going on is that when you rest, it slows down vascular and lymphatic flow. When you make it cold, it slows it down more. When you compress it, you could stop it if you chose to by making it tight enough. That's called a tourniquet. So doesn't sound like we're going in the right direction if we're trying to move that waste out and trying to bring circulation in. So then what about the elevation? Well, there's some belief that if you elevate it, somehow the elevation was going to help drain the fluid from the damaged site. That's not true. The passive lymphatic system doesn't work by you sticking your foot up in the air if you hurt your foot. That's not how it works. And anyone who wonders whether that's correct or not, just go read fundamental information. Go to Wikipedia and read about the passive lymphatic system. You don't have to go to a clinical textbook. Everyone knows it's passive. That's why it's called a passive lymphatic system. Sticking your foot up in your ass is not going to change anything. Now, with that, you say, well, so if that's wrong, if stillness is wrong, if making circulation less through the passive lymphatic system and through the vascular system, if that's not a good answer, what is the answer? Well, the answer is to move nourishment and waste. Mm. And if you ask anyone, well, so when I do the RICE protocol, what do you think I'm doing? Well, what do I think I'm doing if I'm doing the RICE protocol? I'm trapping the waste in and around the damaged site and preventing the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. Now, let's go to your compartment syndrome question. You, I've read your bio. You've been around this stuff for a bit. So there's a real question for you. And just a you know, truthful answer, don't be nice to me. Do you think it's a good idea if you have compartment syndrome to trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies? No. Why would anyone recommend that? And yet that's the recommendation. It literally traps the waste in and around the damaged site and prevents the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. Now, why would you do that? Well, because rice is nice, it rhymed, and basically everyone that came up from 78 on, you were taught the rice protocol. And it didn't matter that it didn't make sense. That, that's, that's not relevant. It rhymed. Rice is nice, so we all did rice. And then you stop and you say, well, do I really want to trap the waste in and around the damaged site? and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies? Of course not. So what do you want to do? Well, you want to bring good stuff in. You want to take bad stuff out. You want to stimulate the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process. And you want to reorganize the repair of tissue so you don't develop faulty scarring. So it's like, well, how would you do that? Not by sitting still with a bag of bice wrapped around, sticking it up in the air. That's not going to do it. So what does do it? Well, muscle activation. Now, you're old enough. I'm looking at you. So if everybody else doesn't see you, I can see you. And uh, um, what we learned, now I'm older than you, but when I grew up, and I suspect when you grew up, the coaches told you when you got anything happened, if you jammed your finger, sprained your ankle, bumped your knee, whatever, they said, don't sit still, keep moving, walk it off. Now, do you remember hearing that? Yep. Did you ever notice how well that worked? It works very well because that's how it works. When you sit still, you trap the waste in and around the damaged site to prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. Sit still, make it cold, compress it, and elevate it. 
But when you move, when you walk it off, well, now you've solved the problem because that's how the body heals. You've got to bring the good stuff in, got to take the bad stuff out. That's controlled by the muscle activation of walking it off. And then the uh, producing, uh, stimulating the production of the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process. That's the direct result of loading of the tissue. And then reorganize and repair tissue, which by the way, happens to be stage three of the inflammatory process or the healing process. It's inflammation repair remodel. So here we have this simple process that they have completely messed up. And by they, I mean the people who are telling you to do that. It's like, it's wrong. And I'm not telling you it's wrong. The doctor who made it up said it's wrong. And, and if you read the literature, it says it's wrong. And in fact, uh, interestingly, this year, uh, last year, uh, 2022 in Philadelphia at the National Athletic Trainers Association meeting, that athletic trainers are the ones who are the clinicians on the sidelines of all the games you see on TV anymore. So at their national meeting, a doctor, Tom Kamensky from the University of Delaware gave a feature presentation, packed the room. You know, at those meetings, no one ever fills all the seats. He filled all the seats, the aisles and five deep in the back of the room. Wow. The title of his presentation, weaning off the rice protocol. Wow. About the third slide he put up was my book. About the fourth slide or fifth slide he put up was the latest podcast that I did. And he said, listen to this guy's podcast. He's explained the whole thing. Now I got the doctor who made up the most recognized, recommended reference recommended protocol in Western medicine to recant and write the forward to the book of the cow's legacy. And I got one of the top academic professors in the athletic training world at their national meeting telling you, stop doing this. It's wrong. Now, what else do you need? We'll go read the literature. Just think about it. You got a problem. There's congestion. How do you decongest it? By increasing circulation out by the passive lymphatic system. How's that work? By walking it off. Now, so walking it off isn't always convenient and it's not always practical. So I happen to work with a product uh, that lets you electronically walk it off. And when you electronically walk it off, your muscles don't care what caused the stress. Your muscles don't say, oh, that's an electronic stimulus. You know, we're not actually walking. No, it doesn't make a difference. It's not the it's not the stimulus provided by the technology that I work with, and it's not the walking. If we were walking, walking on the moon would work, and it won't. You have to have the stress. You have to have the activation of the muscle. You have to load the tissue. Okay, well, you can load the tissue electronically, and you can walk it off. And the technology that you're speaking of is the Mark Pro, and that's something that uh, I was sharing with you right before we hopped on. You know, I've had some knee issues for a few years and uh, a buddy of mine who's an acupuncturist um, and really quite well-versed in, in movement and, and rehab, he had introduced me to it. And honestly, it's been one of the, one of the, if not the, the most surprising things in my recovery plan right now. And I mean, uh, my knee pain has gone down dramatically. And when I was using it recently, uh, while I was staying with some family, the question that I got from the family was, uh, they're familiar with STEM, right? That you would get at a physical therapy clinic. And they were asking me, what is the difference? And so since I have you here, I would love for you to speak if you're open to it on what is, what is the difference between a STEM that someone might get when they go get injured in physical therapy to this device, because I know there are some distinct differences, but I would love to have you speak on that. First of all, if you could get this technology at a physical therapy clinic or a doctor's office. We have a prescription version of the Mark Pro that is used in clinics all over the country and in thousands of settings, by the way, and contracts with the federal government, Department of Defense. So you could very well get this technology in a prescription version from medical settings. Now, what's the difference from, from this product to other products? Well, it's the parameters. So it's, it's, it's how many times a second? It's how, how long's the pulse duration? Uh, how does the pulse duration change over, over the course of the, the firing? You know, the, so it goes off, now it hits, now it releases or does it release gradually? So I'm often asked, actually, what caused you to choose the parameters that you chose? And actually, the answer is we didn't. We had a goal, and our goal was to build a comfortable, easy-to-use muscle stimulation device that 
you could also have a pain control setting that would be strong enough to be cleared by the FDA for dental anesthesia. And you say, okay, well, how do you do that? Well, what you do is you figure it out. You know what you want. I want it to be this good. I want it to be a strong, comfortable contraction that is easy to use and I don't have to be uncomfortable while I'm doing it. It's like, oh, okay. And then you have a pain control setting that's like really strong. Yeah, that'd be really great. So how do you do it? Well, you just work backwards. You just start trying things until you figure out how you accomplish that goal. And when you accomplish that goal, you'd have our parameters. And that's the whole point. When you look at other electronic stimulation devices, they don't do what we do. And they don't do it, not because what they do doesn't work. What they do works, doesn't work as well. And I don't know where everyone else feels about this, but I always want to know what works best. I don't want the thing that works half as good. I want the thing that works best. So how does this work? Well, it works best. Well, why does it work best? Well, because we figured it out. We took the time to say, how do I build a comfortable, easy to use muscle stimulation device that will produce a strong contraction without fatigue and also have a setting for pain control that the FDA would clear for dental anesthesia? Like, wow, that would be really cool if you could do that. Well, to do that, you have to figure out the parameters. And the parameters were there when, once our product was created. That was the parameters. We didn't sit in a room and draw on a board. Well, let's do these parameters. No, work it backwards. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to do this. Okay, well, if you're trying to do that, what do you have to do? Well, you probably have to try, you know, unless you're very lucky, hundreds of, of formulas. Until you say, oh, I want to hit it two times a second. I want, so the, the pulse frequency is two times a second. And I don't want it to just go on and rate off. I want it to go on and then gradually drop off. So it's more comfortable and we attract more fiber. More fiber you attract, the less time it takes to accomplish a given task. So now I've got this great thing where I'm getting a good contraction and I know how many times a second I want to do it and I know how I want the pulse to release. But I don't know if you ever had e-stim on that wasn't comfortable, but some of them are very unhappy when they hit you. It feels like you're getting hit by hornets. Yeah. And then you say, okay, well, so how do I make it not sting like that? Well, you, what you do is you don't go high amperage or volts. You keep it low. And if you keep that low with a long pulse duration, and then you have an infrequent setting of two times, this two, it's called two hertz, two times a second. Now what you've got is something that goes on, gets a great contraction stimulus, so it attracts a lot of fiber. And then rather than going on and right off because it stings so much, just exponentially decaying and dropping off gradually, and then coming back and hitting again very comfortably with low energy. So we have an infrequent, low energy, very comfortable product that produces a very significant muscle contraction without fatigue. And then what, what is that? Well, that, that's what makes the parameters. When you build that, now you've got our parameters. And Gary, just for clarification, I'm with you. And just to clarify, though, the parameters that you're talking about, the Hertz, all this stuff, this is in embedded into the technology that was created, which is something different than when you get the Mark Pro, there's a booklet and based off there's suggested, maybe a protocol might be the best way to describe it. But in terms of how to best use it for different body parts or how to explore, is that correct? One is the tech itself. And then one is yeah. maybe suggestions on how to utilize it for different areas. Correct. We've built, we've put the technology technology into the device. Now, how long you need to use it and what, how you'll use it, it's not complicated, but there is a little trick. And the trick is that you, you have to put the stimulus pads in the right place. Okay. So it, say you were to put the stimulus pad right on the top of your kneecap. It won't work very well because I'm trying to stimulate muscles. And there are muscles on the top of your kneecap, so it's not going to work very well. So as a general rule, you try to find the most dense area of the muscle you're trying to activate, and then you activate it. And you confirm you have the right muscle by simply feeling it. So if you tell me that you're sore, let's just say in your deltoid, and you put it on your hand, that's probably not going to work. 
So you have to put it in the right place. So you have to put the pad in the right place. Put it on your right hand, it won't help your left foot. You get it, this is a very easy thing to follow. But now we say, I want to put it on my deltoid. But when you turn the machine on, that's not where you're tired and sore. And you can feel that it's not the right place. Well, what's really sore? Well, it's kind of like my pec major coming across and tying on. So it's really my pec that's sore. But I thought it was my deltoid because I don't know names of stuff. Okay, well, don't worry about it. This is not an anatomy class. We're not taking a test. Put the pad on where you think the problem is. Activate. And then feel it and make sure that the right muscle is activated. And if the right muscle is activated, you're in the right place. And if you activate that muscle, remember all we're doing is electronically walking it off. So you're just going to activate the muscle and now the muscle activates and, and it will bring in the nourishment. It'll flush out the waste. It will have the muscle produce and release the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process. And then beyond that, it'll help to reorganize the repair tissue because of the stress. And if you remember about how that works, uh, when, you, when you don't, exercise muscles that are recovering, you'll often develop what are called adhesions. Now, adhesions are very unhappy because you have to break those to get back functional range. Well, if you reorganize that repair tissue by loading the tissue, then the tissue will reorganize and then you won't develop the adhesions. And it's like, well, why doesn't everyone do that? Well, a lot of people do. Over a million people have heard my message. So I can tell you there's a whole bunch listening to me. And who doesn't know that? I think anybody who has a, a license to practice uh, this type of medicine knows it. It's just a question of how deep they buried it in their memory. Because you can't get through school without going, without everything I just said is in the textbook. So you wouldn't have gotten through school very well if you, if you don't know this. But it gets buried because the RICE protocol is so well known that people just do the RICE protocol. And then when they do that, they rest, they ice, they compress, and they elevate. And now guess what you did? You actually did the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. You didn't bring in good stuff. You didn't take out bad stuff. You didn't stimulate the production release of the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process. And then you didn't reorganize to repair tissue. So why would you do it wrong? Well, sorry, it Rice is nice and it rhymed and we haven't gotten rid of it yet. Even though the guy who made it up said, stop doing it. <laughs> Gary, with the, with the Mark Pro, at least the device that I have, I know you guys, I believe, have two, maybe more than that uh, for the general public. But there's, at least in the one that I have, there's a high and a low frequency. Would you mind speaking to that and like how and when to utilize and what would be appropriate when to maybe purchase one or not purchase one for someone? Sure. Um, so it goes like this. There's a Mark Pro and a Mark Pro Plus. The plus is the one that has the high frequency. And if you remember a bit ago, I was saying about how we set out to design the technology that would be a strong muscle, non-fatiguing contraction, but also a pain control setting. Well, that pain control setting is what's in the plus. The regular Mark Pro does not have the pain control setting. But here's the great news. If you decongest the area in and around the damaged site and rebuild the related vascular network, most of your pain will go away. And it's like, oh, well, that's interesting. So do I need the pain control setting? There are people who benefit significantly from the pain control setting. Now, if I take all, everyone that I work with, I'm dealing with an elite group of people. So my athletes are basically all elite. If I take my group, 95% of the time, they're using just the Mark Pro, not the Plus. Now, does that mean it's wrong? No, it's a great product. I have a, a, a guy who plays tennis and he's in his 50s and he really needs a new knee. And he doesn't want to get the knee yet because his doc's advising him, you know, just hold off and it's going to be a better surgery in a couple of years. So just just wait if you can. So he's trying to hold off, but he's taken like eight, six or eight of, of those over-the-counter drugs to play tennis. So my rule is very simple. If you're taking drugs to practice or play, Try the Mark Pro Plus. That'll give you relief and at least you don't have the side effects of the drugs. Now, I didn't say that you should go play on a knee that's hurting, but there are people who are playing on a knee that's hurting and they're taking six to eight drugs to do it. So I'm going to have a simple rule. If you're using drugs to practice or play, try me first. And that would be the, the, the most useful time to use the product when you wouldn't use it, for example, so that we don't 
leave people blank with that. I have all 30 Major League Baseball teams. My running statistic is more than two out of every three Major League pitchers are now using Mark Pro. That's a real statistic based on information I got back from the head trainers of the teams. So that's a legitimate number. I'm not making it up. That's what it is. Now, with that said, I would hope that more than 99% of the use is the Mark Pro, not the Plus. Now, why? Let's say a pitcher's arm hurts on release. You better fix the problem. Don't make it numb. Okay? So don't make something numb and then go play the thing you're doing if there isn't a... You need to have a really serious reason to do that. Now, you tell me it's the World Series final game and you want to get a ring. I don't know. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. But on the backside of that, if you're that 55-year-old who needs a new knee and doesn't want to get one yet, and the knee's already shot, and you're going to take drugs to practice or play, well, I'm better than that, so use it for that. But good heavens, never someone young uh, who's just trying to mask pain so they can play. That's not a good idea. Fix the problem. Okay, that makes sense. And is the same strategy in terms of, because I know the the placement of the pads is really important. And so is the strategy for the low frequency similar to the high or would you use it, just put it right on the zone of pain, even if it is right on top of a bone or joint or anything like that? How would you address that? Perfect question. Uh, Actually, the low frequency, you're trying to attract as much muscle as possible. Okay. So you're trying to get into the most denser, the muscle that you're activating. The high frequency, you actually are trying to avoid the muscle and you're trying to shoot the signal because now it's going to hit 60 times a second instead of two times a second. And it in fact would be very fatiguing on the muscle if you're running it on top of the muscle. So I don't recommend you ever do that. Uh, But if you shoot the high frequency through the joint that's bothering you, you'll get relief. Now, does that mean that you can't put it on muscle. I personally would not advise anyone who doesn't know what they're doing. In other words, if you're not a clinician in the field and you know something about this topic, I wouldn't put this on your hamstring and run it high frequency on your hamstring. You're not going to like it. Mm. But you could run it through your joint and it'll help reduce the, uh, the discomfort. But remember, I'm not suggesting that you make things numb that are hurt and then go play. You need to fix the problem if something's hurt. Don't make it numb. Now, you you say, well, I want to get a little relief so I can sleep. Okay, just realize that if you make it numb, you've shut off the signals that alert you to harmful movement, and you need those signals to alert you to the harmful movement so you don't do it. So say something, we went a little clinical to our clinical, our prescription product, just for a second. Say you broke your collarbone, and you said, it hurts, I can't sleep. I want to make it numb so I can sleep. And I say, well, let me ask you a question. When you sleep, that means you're not going to feel if you're in a bad position. Well, yeah, but I need to sleep. Okay, but hold on. Let's talk this through for a second. So let's just say you fell asleep and the whole time you were asleep, you were distracting the fracture site. You think that'd be a good idea if you did that for four hours and then woke up? I mean, would you really want to distract a fracture site on a collarbone because you're numb and can't feel it? So I don't want to shut off the signals to alert you to harmful movement. I want those signals to alert me to harmful movement because I need movement to solve the problem, but I don't want to shut off the signals that alert me to harmful movement. So we got to really watch making things numb. It's not a bad thing. Just follow my simple rule. If you're using drugs to practice or play, I'm not going to judge you, but if you're using drugs to practice or play, my high frequency, my Mark Pro Plus is better than drugs. Wow. I don't have side effects. As I shared briefly on the show, I've been using this Mark Pro Plus device for probably, I don't know, maybe the last four or five months now. And while I have been doing a few other things to help support my knee It's been really, for lack of a better word, just shocking at how much it's been supportive to my knee. I've been using it in other areas of the body as well, but the knee is something that I've been struggling with for the last few years. Uh, And if you've been listening to the path, you've heard me talk about it briefly in the past. And this device has been just 
I mean, it's been really empowering to have something that I can do on my own, whether it's at the end of the night or even while recording this podcast right now. It's something that I can do to truly increase my recovery and start rehabbing this knee in a way that can decrease that congestion, that can increase my range of motion, that can decrease my pain. And I can do so in literally 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I could be watching a show. And as you know, you know, there's very few products that I ever mentioned on this show. Of course, I absolutely share the men's work that I'm doing. I really believe in that. Uh, the kettlebell work, Bulgarian bags, but it's it's rare that I that I talk about other people's products. And that's because it, it takes a lot for me to, uh, to share them with you guys, to really have it be something that I believe in, uh, that I believe can help a lot of people. And this is a device that uh, I'm gifting to my father. I will be getting for my brother. It's something that I've got clients on right now. So it's not only something that I use, but it's something that I recommend to my close family and friends. And once again, I've been very, very impressed at what it's been doing to help create, once again, less congestion and just improve the health of my joints, especially my knee right now. So uh, I have spoken with Mark Pro and they've been kind enough to set us up with a discount. So if you would like a 10% discount off of the Mark Pro or the Mark Pro Plus, I'll put a link in the show notes and just use the code the path. So T-H-E-P-A-T-H, and that'll get you 10% off. And one of the things that Gary's mentioning here is, you know, I have the Mark Pro Plus, which has those two settings, uh, the high frequency being for pain and numbing things out, and then the low frequency for that clearing of the decongestion and such. And even though I have the Mark Pro Plus, I was really happy that Gary shared, you know, I honestly didn't necessarily need to get that. And and most people will just benefit from the Mark Pro. And the nice thing about that, it's quite a bit less in cost compared to the Pro Plus version. So for approximately $700, you can get a Mark Pro. Uh, you can use that low setting and get you know the primarily all the benefits that Gary's discussing here. So uh, if you do use code THEPATH, click the link in the show notes, you can get 10% off. And uh, yeah, I hope you really enjoy it and or relate it to a friend or a loved one who is uh, you know, experiencing some, whether it's an injury right now who, or someone who just wants to improve their performance, this is definitely a product I do recommend learning more about and, uh, and trying it for yourself. Now, let's get back to the show. Gary, one of the things that you were speaking of, I want to go back one step with regards to uh, ice or cold. Is it just about being also really clear about what the intention is? Because right now I know like I've got a cold plunge in the other room. And so is it just being, and I know a lot of people are getting into cold plunges and cold water and stuff like that. Is it just being clear about what that is doing and what it's not doing when it comes to recovery and stuff like that and where it does and does not fit into this discussion? Or what's your thought on any type of, let's just say cold immersion, like cold water immersion? Well, in my book, I barely touched on it. I, I let it go because in my book, I'm talking about damage and what you need to do to recover, what you need to do to heal. And there is some belief that if you go into cold water, and then there's a little bit of science to back it too, that if you go into cold water, there could be advantages to recovery. Now, on the downside of that, one of the big claims is that it prevents or lessens inflammation. Well, the problem with that is the inflammatory response is phase one of three phases of healing. Inflammation repair remodels. In every textbook, you can look up the Mayo Clinic. It'll say the same thing. So here goes a question. Are you sure you want to dampen the inflammatory response post-training? Because it's phase one of three phases of healing. And so I don't really think I want to mess with that. So what does the literature say about it? Well, the literature says that if you go in a cold plunge right after you train, you dampen both vascular and muscular adaptation. That's clearly not what you want to do. So one of my very good uh, allies in this field, uh, very well-known physical therapist, says, but I like cold plunging because it's good discipline. And I feel better when I'm done. And that counts. It doesn't matter if it's placebo or not. He feels better when he's done. So what he never does is he never goes in the cold plunge after he trains. He separates it by as much time as he can get. So if he, if he worked out at 6 a.m., he wouldn't go in the cold plunge until at least 6 p.m. Now, is that enough time in between? There's no 
I, I've not seen any data to support whether that's enough time. But it's better than doing it right away. I clearly don't want to dampen both vascular muscular adaptation. <laughs> that's, that's what I just did the stimulus for. You're going to shut it off. So is it wrong? I don't like cold personally to go in. I don't like cold water. I've done it and I don't, I don't like it. I've been in a cryo chamber and I don't like it. But is it going to solve a problem if you are tired and sore and you're trying to decongest the area in and around the damaged site? Okay. So let's remember what we're trying to do. We've got four, th four boxes we want to check. We want to bring good stuff in, take bad stuff out. We want to produce and release the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process. And we want to reorganize to repair tissue. Does going in cold water do any or all of the above? The boxes aren't going to be checked very well right now, are they? Now, is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. If you tell me you like it, there is some uh, heat shock uh, uh, hormones that are released that appear to be useful uh, or cold shock, uh, but there's also heat shock ones. So you can go into heat and do nearly the same thing. So if I'm going to pick, I'm going into heat. I'm not going in the cold. But there's discipline involved in it. It's getting yourself to do it. It's, it's, it's overcoming it emotionally and mentally. There's value to that. And if you tell me that you, you like it and you say it helps you and you like the discipline, just do it as far away from your training as you can so you don't dampen the, the inflammatory response. Uh, interesting i i had someone i explained that to and then i said look just google the articles and they called me and said well yeah so yeah i see i really don't want to dampen the inflammatory response but uh, you know it does other things too I'm like it doesn't matter what else it does if it did that now it either dampens the inflammatory response or it doesn't that's the big claim about it but the cryo chambers will reduce inflammation why do you want to reduce inflammation why do you guys get things so wrong Inflammation is a good thing, not a bad thing. It's phase one of three phases of healing. It's your body's response to the damage, however slight or severe that damage is. The inflammatory response is good, not bad. Sometimes people mix the two words up, swelling and inflammation. They're two entirely different terms. And inflammation, well, inflammation is, is your response to the tissue damage. That's your body trying to fix the problem. Your immune system, your innate intelligence trying to fix the problem. It's setting off a cascade, which, by the way, is what Mark Pro stands for. Mark is a muscle-activated recovery cascade. So that's what it's doing. But it's doing that by activating the muscles, by electronically walking it off. So it's going in a cold tub doing what you need to do if you say it's for recovery. Not as well as putting on a muscle activation device, I can tell you that. I get a choice. Now, but by the way, I'm not against, like I just ran 16 miles just a little bit, finished 20 minutes ago before we came on together. And that 16 miles up the hill, then back down the hill, that is not pleasant, but it's really good for my mind. I like the abuse. And I live in the desert and it was hot today. And I was very uncomfortable. And around 11 or 12 miles, I was saying, this might not be a good idea. Why am I doing this? But then I'm done. And I'm like, this is awesome. I love it. So there's nothing wrong with emotional benefit and discipline that goes with it. And if going in the cold tub makes you happy, I'm happy for you. Just realize that if you sprained your ankle, it's going to do very little to fix that problem. Right. Maybe the benefit or the benefit of both worlds or the happy medium might be doing it a few hours before training. Is that fair to say? That seems reasonable to me. I, I mean, it's, as long as the tissue rewarms. Yeah, 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 for sure. That makes sense. I've never, I've never thought of it in reverse, but yes, that that would because now you've made it as far away from the last training as you can. Yeah, if someone someone wanted to do it first thing in the morning, they wake up, you know, get in the cold plunge for two minutes, hop out. Hours later, they do their session, they warm up. So Gary, today, when it comes to recovery, as you're defining it, and as, as, as we're, we're having this conversation, outside of the Mark Pro, what are the other things that you incorporate into your routine when it comes to how you're defining recovery right now? Well, the first thing that I want to do is bring the nourishment. I want to electronically walk it off. So I want to bring the good stuff in, get the bad stuff out. That's the first thing I want to do. And recovery, if we're going to follow the, the rules, is, is, 
Is it going to bring good stuff in, bad stuff out, produce and release the myokines that drive or mediate the tissue regeneration process? Is it going to reorganize and repair tissue? Okay, that's recovery. But then there's the nutrition side of recovery. So that's more important than almost everything. If you have a terrible diet, don't expect to recover well. So yes, you can use Mark Pro and it's going to help with the four things we need the boxes checked on. But you have to properly hydrate. As soon as I was done, I immediately took my rehydration uh, formula. And of course, I carry a camelback on my back and drink the whole time I'm running. And I take a hydration product before I start. By the way, I lose about six pounds in a run like that. So uh, it's a pretty significant process where you got to make sure you hydrate correctly. But you couldn't expect to recover well if you didn't hydrate. And then if you didn't nourish yourself. So recovery, yes, you've got to do the part I said about the walking it off electronically. You got to do that. But then you got to hydrate and you've got to eat correctly. And I believe, and I don't know that the literature would be against me on this, but I believe you have to believe you are doing the right thing too. So I meditate. I have been since 1974, 74, and I go into a state where I help my body find the problems. And whether the meditation is legitimate or not, uh, I don't dispute that with people, but I can tell you this, my blood pressure goes down, my heart rate goes down, my respiration rate goes down, and my concentration goes up. So with all that in place, if I'm on the Mark Pro while I'm doing that, I'm relaxing my muscles, I'm attracting more fiber, the more fiber I attract, the less time it takes to accomplish a given task. So I'm getting the relaxation involved and the discipline involved in meditation, but simultaneously I'm helping my body do what it does, and that's moving the nourishment and waste. And I, I just I want to run back to something. I just realized as I was saying that I didn't tell you before. I started to, but I didn't say it. Uh, pad placement is about 50% of the formula. So you have to get the pads in the right place. The other 50% is body position while you're doing it. And what that means is this. Let's just say uh, you were going to do your shoulder. What you wouldn't want to do is walk around with your arm flopping like a flounder in the bottom of a wooden rowboat. Okay, That would not be good. So if that's not good, what would be good? Well, it would be good to be fully reclined in a lazy boy chair with your arm across your torso, fingers aiming towards the opposite hip bone, somewhat like Napoleon. Okay, So you're like this coming across with a soft pillow, not a hard pillow because we don't want to block the vessels. We don't want to put pressure against the vessels for trying to move the nourishment and waste through. So you put a soft pillow between your arm and your torso. That'll have your arm horizontal to the floor. Now there's no loading. The tissue isn't stressed. It's not doing anything. It's just sitting. Now turn the machine on and activate those muscles. That would be the best position to be in. Now, if I have a best and a worst, what do I have in between? Well, you've got all kinds of stuff. People sitting on a bus or driving in a car and they're, they're the passenger and they're, they're doing their shoulders or coming back from an event. Okay, th that's not a bad position, but just remember you're trying to get as close to fully reclined in a lazy boy chair with your arm across your torso, fingers aiming towards the opposite hip bone with a soft pillow or sweatshirt or something between your arm and your torso to absorb the bounce. So get that position in place. You wouldn't want to do your calf muscles standing up. Now, that's sort of obvious, but I, I've seen it. I've been to CrossFit events at the, uh, uh, at the International World Championships, or I'm not quite sure of the words they call it, but at the championships. And I see most of the leading people, the, the, the top people are using Mark Pro. Some are sitting against a concrete wall on a concrete floor, pumping their legs and their low back. That's a horrible position. Go lay in the grass. That, that, if you're against concrete, every time it hits, two times a second, it's hitting and it's pushing you against the wall. And then as a result, you tense up against it. You can't help it. If I walk up to you right now and I pushed your shoulder, you'd tense your abs and you'd hold yourself still. Well, that's what you're doing against the wall. Plus, if you're lying down on concrete and you're trying to do your glutes or your hamstrings or your low back, you're compressing the very vessels I'm trying to move the nourishment and waste through. So yes, pad placement's important. That's 50% of the formula. The other 50%, body position while you're doing it. 
which brings up a really important thing to tell you. Sometimes people say to me, well, how long do I need to use it? And I say, if anyone ever answers that question, hang up. Stop listening to them. There's no way you can answer that question in advance. It's impossible. I need to know how much damage you have. I need to know how efficient you are. So in other words, are you 7% body fat or 28% body fat? Because fat disrupts my signal. It diffuses my signal. I, I can't get through it the same way I can muscle. So I need to know how efficient you are. And then I need to know what position you are in while you're using it. So you tell me that you are significantly tired from a, a triathlon and that you are very efficient you're 7% body fat, and that you're going to be sitting in a bus for four hours. Okay, the first two things were really good in the statistic, but the last thing was not very good at all. Sitting in a bus is not a good way to try to work your legs and, and your body after you do a triathlon. So if I were to guess there, I would say you're going to need probably two hours. Now, if you told me I could get you fully reclined in a lazy boy chair or on a bed or something really comfortable, I might cut that time by 50%. Now, I don't know, no one knows in advance until you do it. Now, my, for example, my major league pitchers, if they throw 20 pitches or someone throws 80, wouldn't it be pretty safe to say that the person who threw 80 is going to need more time than the person who threw 20? Now, what position you're in while you're doing it and how efficient are you? Let's just say the one who threw 20 is going to be crammed on a plane in a middle seat and can't get up and down and isn't going to be very comfortable at all. And the person who threw the 80 is very efficient and they're going to be in an ideal position while they're using it. Well, guess what? It might end up being the same amount of time for both. And yet the work was the same, but you've got to take in those other factors. In. How efficient are you? how much damage you have and what position are you in while you're using it. Wow. And Gary, for, for lower extremity, let's use my knee as the example, right? So I know you said lazy boy recliner, outstretched, fully relaxed. And so that, I mean, I think I'm answering my own question, but even if I was sitting right now with my legs, almost I'm sitting in a, on a, basically a low uh, cushion or, or stool, basically. And let's just say my legs are, are outstretched, but not fully straight. I basically don't want to close the joint angle, right? I want to keep it open, supported, relaxed, and outstretched. Is that accurate? Two ways to say that answer to you. You want to unload the muscle that you're trying to activate. So unload means it shouldn't be stressed. So standing on it, doing a half squat, it would be stressed. So you want to relax the muscle you're trying to activate. So in this case, if you're trying to do your knee, there's very little muscle around your knee. So what are you going to do? Well, you have to go above and below it and catch the muscle. Now, what you're looking to do, and that's a very important thing to remember, what you're, you know, to know what you're trying to do, what's your intent. You're trying to increase circulation in and around the tired and sore area. So how are you going to do that? Well, you need to activate the muscles in and around that area and then relax the joint, relax the muscle. What's the best way to relax the leg? Well, lie down, you know, get off it, don't be standing up, and then slightly bend the knee with a little external rotation. And as soon as you do that, you relax your quads, your hamstrings, and your lower leg muscles. And it's like, well, that was simple. I know, but I didn't say it was hard. <laughs> so it, it isn't that it's hard to figure out as long as you know the game. The game is to relax the muscle you're trying to activate. So what you wouldn't want to do if you were doing your deltoid is you wouldn't want to go like this. And get real that wouldn't work. Don't do that. Relax. In fact, if you want to do a little thing for yourself just uh, for entertainment purposes to kind of see how, how well our parameters actually work with such low energy, uh, take one pad, put it on your right trap, take the other pad, put it on your left trap, okay? And then turn it on and let it activate your shoulders, okay? And then gradually tense up against it. Don't do anything harsh. Just gradually tense up against it until you stop our signal and then relax. And what you'll find is that you can actually produce enough force personally to stop my signal. Well, that's the whole point. If I had so much power that you couldn't stop it, I'd fatigue your muscle. I have enough power to activate the muscle, but I need you to relax against my signal. So I can do everything we've said we can do, but you have to cooperate with me. You have to relax against my signal. That's wonderful, Gary. Well, Gary, this has been so helpful, 
interesting. I learned a lot. As we close off, if you don't mind sharing um, any final words that you might like to leave people with. I know we we said uh, the, the theme of this show was going to be something to the effect of the greatest lie that we've all been told uh, as it relates to recovery. So any final words? Uh, and then of course, where can people find you if they'd love to seek you out or find your book? Uh, anything like that would be much appreciated. Great. Well, thank you. I'll end by giving you the explanation that I wrote for the American uh, uh, National Athletic Trainers uh, magazine. Uh, so it's one of their journals. And I was asked by the editor-in-chief to write a rebuttal to two professors that were pushing the Rice Protocol. And he called me and said, would you like to write a rebuttal? And I said, yes. But I said, you know, I'm not an athletic trainer, right? He said, no, but I'm the editor. So you write it, I'll print it. And I simply explained it like this. When you are trying to fix a problem, you're trying to decongest an area in and around the damaged site. What are you actually trying to do? Like, what's the goal? Now, this may be for a significant injury or for something slight. The more significant, the more relevant, because it's just the reality of interference. If you're interfering in something that's very minor, well, then there'll be a minor consequence. Interfering in something major, well, you have a major consequence. So it works like this. What are you trying to do? On the top of your page, write goal, and then say, I'm trying to prevent further loss and regenerate that which has been destroyed. So you get the two goals, that's your two goals. I'm going to prevent further loss, regenerate that which has been destroyed. Okay, so what causes further loss? Well, that's very easy. It's the congestion in and around the damaged site will suffocate and kill otherwise perfect healthy cells that were not involved in the initial trauma. So you got to decongest the area in and around the damaged site. Okay, what else goes wrong? Well, what else goes wrong is disuse atrophy. So you're hurt and you can't do stuff and you're tired and sore and you don't want to do anything. So the muscles and the ligaments and the tendons and the nerve, everything begins to atrophy. That's called disuse atrophy. Now, what else goes wrong? Well, what you have is faulty scarring and faulty scarring is a failure to reorganize the repairing tissue. So that will inhibit the muscle. Uh, the, when, you, when you fail to reorganize the repair tissue, it will inhibit joint motion. So you'll have functional loss of the joint, basically caused by the adhesions. So that's the three big things that go wrong that cause further damage. You have to decongest the area in and around the damaged site so that otherwise perfect healthy cells that were not involved in the initial trauma do not suffocate and die. You've got to activate the muscles in and around the damaged site to prevent disuse atrophy. Disuse comes from not using, so you have to use it. You have to reorganize the repair tissue so you don't develop faulty scarring that will interfere with functional range or joint function, range of motion. Now, there are the three things that go wrong as far as preventing further loss. Now, what about regenerating that which has been destroyed? Well, there's two things you have to do. You have to rebuild the related vascular network in and around the damaged site. So there you go. You've got to rebuild the related vascular network in and around the damaged site. Now, the next thing you have to do is lower your myostatin levels. And myostatin uh, is something that not everybody's familiar with. But if you're old enough, you remember Boy Hercules. Boy Hercules was a young man somewhere around 13 years old that didn't have myostatin. And he grew, he grew very large muscles. If you simply Google myostatin, muscle growth, boy Hercules, it'll pop right up. And what happened was he didn't have the myostatin and his muscles grew very large. And then you find out that myostatin elevates from inactivity. And you've got to lower your myostatin levels for the muscle to regenerate. So if you don't do that, then the muscle, you're inhibiting muscle regeneration. So how do you lower myostatin levels, rebuild the related vascular network in and around the damaged site, reorganize the repaired tissue, prevent a retard disuse atrophy, and decongest the area in and around the damaged site so that otherwise healthy cells were not involved in the trauma do not suffocate and die. How do you do those five things? Rhetorical question, but I want to ask it. Do you think that sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped right tightly around the area while sticking up in the air is going to decongest the area in and around the damaged site, prevent disuse atrophy, reorganize the repaired tissue, rebuild the related vascular network, and lower your myostatin level? And if you pick yes, you were wrong, the answer is no, it does not. So since that doesn't work, what does work? Well, it just so happens that loading the tissue, the same loading, the same stress, the same electronically walking it off process, 
the same process that decongests the area in and around the damaged site simultaneously prevents the retards tissue atrophy, simultaneously reorganizes the repair tissue, simultaneously rebuilds the related vascular network in and around the damaged site, and simultaneously lowers your myostatin levels. So if you want to know what to do, go after those five things. On the top of your page, simply write goal, prevent a retard disuse atrophy is got to be one of the top things you're concerned about. And then on, with that, you say, well, what are the five things? Well, now you know the five things. You got to decongest the area. You got to prevent a retard disuse atrophy. You got to reorganize repair tissue. You got to rebuild the related vascular network in and around the damaged site. And you've got to lower your myostatin levels. Sitting still won't do it. Stillness is the enemy. Active recovery is the answer. Wonderful, Gary. That was <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> you got a headset on, but mic drop on that one. Gary, where can people find you? And if they wanted to seek out your book or get in contact, how might they be able to do that? The easiest way to get to me is GaryRhino.com. So it's my name, G-A-R-Y-R-E-I-N-L.com. That's my website. Everything on my website is free. So all of my articles, everything I've written, have videos about the things I've done, it's all there. The only thing that's for sale is my book. And it's only like 16 bucks. So it's not like the book's expensive. I didn't go out and you know, do one of those $100 books. Uh, but you can, you can read my stuff, uh, take it offline, use it any way you want. I don't have any restrictions on my copyrights. Uh, people hand it out all the time in universities. I speak uh, uh, very often, very often, multiple times a year at universities to graduate students. And I tell them, anything I've got, you print. You have a question, you call me. I've actually helped several graduate students write their thesis or whatever that's called when they go to the next level. And uh, they've come back and written some wonderful pieces. So that, on my website, there's a link to a, a young man who just finished, uh, I believe, athletic training school. And now he's going to physical therapy school. And he wrote a paper that, was, that surpassed anything I would do. It was so good. Now, I helped him. I led him in the direction, but him and his professor actually put the document together about why the Rice Protocol is wrong. So I have a lot of resources there that are completely free that anybody's welcome to use. Well, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing and uh, for just being so gracious with your time today. I really, really appreciate you sharing your wisdom uh, of all the years. 50 years experience. Is that right? 50 years come October 1st. Wow. So I'm a little shy, I'm a little shy of 50 years right now, but I'm getting close. Beautiful. Well, Gary, thank you again so much. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path. And I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. 